Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from artistic animals to absolute atrocities, and today we're talking about the alignment chart. Hey, Brian. Hello, Will. Tell me, <laughs> tell me, where do you stand on the chart, Will? Um, a little bit, a little bit on both sides. I like the chart. I like the chart. I think that's where I stand. I like the alignment chart. I'm chaotic neutral. You're chaotic neutral. Oh, oh, you meant literally wearing the wearing. I don't know. True neutral. <laughs> true neutral. True neutral. <laughs> Will is true neutral. Uh, we're we're lawful good. We want everyone to learn Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that's true. By that's the true. rules. Or the but war. we don't follow no, the rules we very well. We're, 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 we're chaotic good. We're chaotic good. We're chaotic we are definitely good. chaotic good. The dungeon good. cast is chaotic good. Yeah. For sure. Chaotic okay. love all over. Okay. <laughs> all right. So the alignment chart. I feel like this episode's uh, a long time coming. Yeah. Um, this is super controversial. Yeah, it can be. It no can one be. can make up their damn minds. Yeah, it's true. Have you so, seen the meme about the bread? I love when they, they oh, take yes. memes and they make they assign uh, uh, one of the the alignments to like an image yeah. and there's nine images. Yeah. I, I love those memes as well. So the idea <laughs> of alignment in D and D is the type of categorization of a character or creatures, ethical, moral, and philosophical perspective. Um, it's used to broadly describe a character's personal attitude to the world around them. Yes. Um, it is a combination of two axes often represented in a three by three grid. Like we were talking about with the meme. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first axis is morality. And characters can fall into either good, evil, or neutral alignments. Uh, the second axis is attitude towards society and order. Characters here can fall into either lawful, chaotic, or neutral alignment. These two axes create nine distinct alignments a character can have attached to them. Okay. So, the original concept um, of alignment, or the original concept of the alignment chart, was designed to help define role-playing. A, right. play, a player or DM decides how a character should generally behave by assigning them an alignment and then role plays in accordance to those alignments attributes. Right. And an element of character creation. Right. Now, 
this idea makes a ton of sense when you think about how D&D originally evolved from tactical war games. And the concept of role-playing was probably a really foreign concept to players in general, especially new ones coming into this new hobby. Right. So Gygax, along with other developers, probably felt that players would need a bit of guidance to staying in character. This was a new idea, if you will. Or, you know, obviously this is a conjecture, but this is kind of like my take on how how and why this kind of probably came to be. Mm. Um, this can further be seen as roles develop around the idea for of punishing characters for acting against alignment and rewarding characters for staying within their predefined roles. Okay. So I think if uh, Dungeons & Dragons were invented today with the current level of role play that exists, I doubt the alignment chart would have ever been invented. Um, I can I see its application oh, floating. I, I see yeah. what you're saying. I'm not like, st- if we birthed it right now, yeah. would yeah. it be this? Probably not, I guess. Now, I saying, saying that I don't think it would be invented does not mean that I think the concept of the alignment chart is dumb or bad or not useful. I just think that the in its original concept, uh, it's a bit antiquated. Okay. Like the reasons why it was made are antiquated now, but we only say that because it was made, making it antiquated later on as role playing became more normalized. I mean, I, I generally I like the alignment chart and I mm-hmm. like conversations that revolve around it. Yeah. But there's a section of this argument that is in, incredibly distasteful mm-hmm. uh, in like the internet culture of Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and um and and basically where I stand on it is like I I typically start with the alignment chart and I do not shackle myself to it. Yeah, yeah. And what I, I'm going to get into how I approach the alignment chart, how I think. It can best be used, and I'm going to get into all the little details. So okay. let's let's get into it. So the idea of alignment in D&D has always been a bit polarizing and a bit controversial. Uh, people have a tendency to absolutely hate the alignment chart or to love it so much as to stick to it to the extreme. Right. Uh, whether you are... Um, whether you are a fan of the alignment chart um, or not, the alignment chart has some inherent flaws, which I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So the first being that um, the subjectiveness of the alignment chart right. is what your opinion of such a big thing of some of these yeah. titles are. In D and D and fiction, morality uh, can have a tendency to be very clear cut, black and white, good and evil. But in real life, morality is much more nuanced and very, very contextual mm-hmm. uh, and cultural, even. Um, Depending on perspective, one person's good deed could be another's atrocity. Um, so when in real life a player DM or two players disagree on morality of a character's action and that group puts a lot of stock into alignment, it can cause problems. Because like you, you're all putting stock into alignment, but you all disagree on what that even means, and thus we have drama. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to in real life mora- uh, morality being much more nuanced and contextual, I'd like to point to Fire Emblem Three Houses as a great <laughs> example because I've been playing the shit out of that game. And uh, depending on which house you took, you either really hate or really love a character. And um, also, more importantly, I actually think than which house you choose, it's your stance on certain moral philosophies. If you have certain strong stances, there's no way you're going to like certain characters. And if you do, then you're going to really, really like some characters. I'm going to need you to step back and pretend like I don't have a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. And that's, well, that's all I'm going to say about Fire Emblem <laughs> Three Houses. But that's what I mean by morality really is nuanced and contextual. Okay. So the second problem with the alignment chart is the strict adherence to alignment. And its strict adherence to alignment is its restrictiveness in general. Mm-hmm. So in earlier editions, you could be punished for acting out of alignment. Um and even the ability to change alignment can have its own serious drawbacks, mechanically speaking. It's like, okay, 
So maybe we won't actively punish you for going from lawful good to lawful neutral or neutral good or true neutral or whatever. But guess what? You're probably going to lose your holy powers if you're a paladin because like you're not the thing that you needed to be to have those powers. Well, I figured we were going to get to it, but uh, yeah. I, every time you say you get punished for leaving your alignment, that's mm-hmm. the character I still think of. <laughs> right. This definitely I mean, applies to. Definitely the one most people probably think of. Yeah, like a cleric or a paladin. Somebody or even a warlock, I guess. Yeah, warlock is more. It's less about the alignment, more about like the interests of one's patron. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of just depends on what your what that bond is like. But other right, other right. other than that, yeah, the cleric and the paladin for sure. Right. So characters are supposed to act like people, and in real life, people act out of alignment all the time. Mm-hmm. Good people have bad days and moments of weakness. Bad people still have the capacity to love and be kind on occasion. Uh, because of this, most people would not be able to restrict their, re- their real life personality to a single alignment. Right. So the idea of your character absolutely having this strict alignment is unrealistic and it's a bit immersion breaking. Mm-hmm. So these are the, probably the two biggest flaws. There, there are more little flaws here and there, but those are the two I kind of want to touch on. Of like, yeah, it's whether not, you like the alignment chart or not, these are two flaws, and all things have flaws, and these are the alignment chart's flaws. Yeah, I mean, and your perspective will dictate whether you actually think it is a, is a flaw or not. I mean, like, you, it's not realistic to hold to real people in the real world, but maybe the fantasy world you're brewing up is is like this clear-cut thing. Maybe this is the way you want to play. And that is totally okay. Yeah, but Um, I don't think that's how most people do it. I don't don't think most people are, like, so married to the alignment chart that if you, if, you know, it's like referee or, like, like micromanaging your players almost Mm -hmm. to to do that. I don't know. Yeah. Dungeon Master. Yeah, I agree. So because of these drawbacks, the alignment chart has actually undergone uh, many revamps from edition to edition. Until we have what we have now with 5e, where it is a mostly optional, much less mechanically relevant, and much less prominent mechanic. And this is probably where it should be. I feel like 5e's got the alignment chart exactly where it should be. Uh, Usable and tangible for those who love it and need it and want it. And completely forgettable and throw-asideable for the ones that hate it. Yeah. Uh, And it works perfectly either way. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't think it really gets better than that. So, what, what do you think a new player's perspective on the alignment chart should be like with for maybe an experienced dungeon master with new players? I think new players is where the alignment chart is you're going to get the most bang for your buck for use. Yeah. Um, because again, new players are probably really new to the role playing thing and having this idea of alignment as a guide and a good guide for their character creation could be very useful. And I, I, I'm going to get into that. Okay. So, even though most alignment-based mechanical effects from past editions have been completely removed from the game, there are still a few. So, like, even though you can mostly ignore alignment, you can't quite completely ignore it. All right. Um, just, like, 99%. <laughs> okay. So, um, one feature that comes to mind is a Paladin's Divine Sense feature. Sure. You know, with uh, the Divine Sense feature, the Paladin can... Uh, sense evil and good creatures right. or whatever. That's um, alignment. So based. it's like you need that. You need well, is this creature? And then like you don't. Do you need the chart or can you just think individually? Like okay, is the thing that they are near evil in intention? And it's like okay, there it is. So it's you, much easier with creatures, I think, than PCs to stick to the alignment chart. Right. Um. Yeah. Well, the thing is, with a lot of creatures, um, they're 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 not even on the alignment chart. They're what's called unaligned, the tenth alignment. If yeah. You will. So if you pop that, if you pop off like divine sense, and you're not picking stuff up. Yeah. You, but you can make that observation also based off of like, oh, it's not, it's not. I'm not getting a beat, so it has to be this, or nothing. Or yeah. No, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. This or not. Yeah. 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 
So um, some monster features that affect other creatures uh, of specific alignment exist. Um, I think the Demi-Lich has a specific thing where creatures of non-evil alignment like get damaged specifically by a specific thing. I've seen stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. There are some spells that have specific effects based off alignment. There are some magic items that are affected by or affect one's alignment. Um, and then specifically traveling through the outer planes may have effects dependent on alignment. Now, those are optional rules, but they make sense since the outer planes are so tied to alignment as a concept. Right. Um, you know, when you're traveling through the abyss, the abyss has chaotic, evil, corrupting properties to it. Yeah. And so, again, that is very alignment based. So, like, you do, like, madness rolls down there and stuff? Yeah, and I believe, like, long enough exposure to any specific outer plane can literally change one's alignment. Because that's yeah. what outer planes do. Yeah. So I still do think the alignment chart has its place in modern D&D, uh, mostly when it comes to character creation and especially for new players. Though I would say that alignment is less of a rule to follow or even a guideline and more of a tool to be used to help discover who your character is and how they would act in various situations. Okay. So when it comes to character creation, I really do believe in a less is more approach. All right. Um, when it comes to defining a background, Backstory, personality, and attitude. I have found that if I overflesh a character, I tend or overflesh out a character, I tend to have trouble role playing them, or more trouble role playing them than uh, than less trouble. Oftentimes, ideas sound better on paper than they do in action, and overplotting out the details can prove over restrictive or not as fun or easy as I intended. Um, and my approach tends to be now a bit more bare bones. So I'll form a general outline and background. Uh, an idea of my character without too many of the details filled in. I'll consider alignment and then archetypes that fit within that alignment to base some behaviors on. And then I, as the campaign develops, I will kind of discover certain details, quirks, personality traits as I role play. Yes. And, my, my character constantly grows with me as I play each right. session because my character has, they don't just gain like experience as a mechanical, like I beat a guy, I get 10 or whatever that, is so meaningless to me in role play. Like I am discovering things about the, my character and adding that to their sheet, you know, like, yeah. Oh, I think in these situations, I think I should be like this. And right. then I go to do it and maybe it was, it was, didn't feel quite right mm -hmm. or maybe it did. Right. And then right. I go from there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm going to get kind of more detailed in like a very specific example to kind of flesh out exactly how the alignment chart comes into play with character creation. Mm -hmm. But, we're going to do that after a short rest. Mm, rest. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the part of the episode we're not talking about that last thing, we're talking about rest. It feels so good. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know what else feels good? Love. Yes, it's true. Love does feel good. Feels good. <laughs> feels good. Okay. Love you guys. So do that I. That feels good. Yeah. Yeah. You got something to say, Will? Look, um, you got something to say over there, buddy. Yes, I, I do. I'd like to tell our audience to <laughs> please check out our video game channel, TDC Plays. Uh, it is a sister YouTube channel where we here at the Dungeon Cast play some video games. Uh, we play a lot of Zelda. We play a lot of Sonic. We play a lot of Mega Man. We play a lot of a lot of things. And uh, if you guys are interested, you should go check it out. It really helps us out. And the link is in the description. So TDC Plays. Yeah. Check it out. If you got anything to say to us, if you got anything to say to us, you can like tweet at us or something. Find us on Instagram. <laughs> or something. Uh, you can hit us up at the dungeoncast at gmail.com. Uh, for feedback, add inquiry, things of that nature. Please have a wonderful day. And thank you for listening <laughs> to our show. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> Let's get back to the show. What have we done, Will? We've returned. Hey, right. It's not <laughs> as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's not. And before the short rest, I said I was going to get into a specific example of how I use alignment with character creation. You better follow up on that then, bud. I'm going to try. Let's so, do it. To give an example of how alignment can play a part in character creation, I will use a character I created to, that recurs in various games that I played over the years. D'Artagnan Blood. D'Artagnan Blood. Fucking whatever of his name. <laughs> First of his name, Rifle Eredus House, son of Damocles, uh, or Balthazar Damocles Blood, uh, the warlord of Turath. That's right. One of so, those. One of those. So <laughs> uh, I've mentioned D'Artagnan a few times on the show, but for those who are unaware, D'Artagnan is a lawful evil tiefling paladin and easily my favorite PC I've ever, ever created. Yeah. So. And appeared, uh, in, in my experience, mostly in the Super Quest uh I can't even remember the name. Super Quest Ultra 5, the ultimate adventuring experience. That's exactly what it was. Which was what we were going to do before Super Quest Saga, but it totally, it just didn't work out for a lot of reasons. It was a learning experience. It really was. Super Quest Saga is possible in its entirety because of that game. It's very true. (laughs) Because of our failures. (laughs) Because of our failures. You can catch the episodes I didn't lose in the $20 tier on our Patreon. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, let's get back to uh, alignment and how that pertained to D'Artagnan and all that other stuff. So, my initial... 
idea for Dotanium was that I wanted to play a Blackguard style character. Now, the Blackguard is, uh, depending on your edition, it's either a class or a subclass or a, um, what? oh God, what were those things called in third edition? Um, uh, I can't remember what they're called. They were like little subclasses that you could uh, take. They only went from like levels one to five or one to ten. They were... Um, Prestige classes, that's what they Oh, okay, cool. Or prestige class or anything along those lines. It was essentially like a dark paladin. Yeah. Um, not an anti-paladin, which was chaotic evil, but a lawful evil paladin. Yeah, and he's a so, tiefling, which is real cool. Yeah, lawful evil has always been one of the more interesting alignments to me. And I wanted to really try my hand at it. And so my first thought was, blackguards have a tendency to be edgelords. This is just <laughs> yeah. something that is true in life. And it's something that I absolutely wanted to avoid. So I isolated the idea of lawful evil and I tried to think about lawful evil characters from fiction that really stood out to me or that I found to be very, very beloved specifically by me, but in general as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first character that jumped out to me as I was doing this was uh, Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. So Vegeta is not strictly lawful evil, but he does have a lot of lawful evil behaviors. And if you're not um, familiar with Dragon Ball Z, I'll do my best to to sum him up as I talk about him, and we're not going to stay on him for too long, but he is a key part of D'Artagnan, so we got to talk about him a little. Now, he's the Prince of All Sands. He's the Prince of All Sands. <laughs> so I thought to myself, what... All four of them. <laughs> all four of them. So I thought to myself, what makes Vegeta specifically such a good character? I mean, it's not that he is lawful evil. That's not what makes him a good character. What makes him a good character is that he's lawful evil or has lawful evil behaviors in tandem with other behaviors, and that's what makes him interesting. So well, we're just talking about the Frieza saga. Yeah, we're talking mostly somewhere between uh, mid Frieza saga to mid late Cell saga. Yeah, that's like that's a pretty good one. That's like prime Vegeta. Yeah, yeah. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. So besides the fact that uh, Vegeta is a total badass, there were a few key traits that really stood out to me, and that I really wanted to integrate into the new character I was making. So uh, one of the things about Vegeta as a character that I think make him so beloved is his charismatic arrogance, which is not to be confused with just arrogance and pride. He has this way of like really pumping himself up in a way that makes you want to root for him. You're like, oh shit, like this guy's the shit. Why? Because he's saying he's the shit. And <laughs> a bunch. And he can mostly back up what he's saying. And it mostly is key because Vegeta gets his ass kicked a lot, um, which honestly makes him more beloved. But you also know that he really is as powerful as he claims to be for the most part. So when he throws a threat around, it means something. Yeah. And, and, um, and like him getting his ass kicked a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Like he's he is in the of the mind that it should not be happening every time. It exactly. Happens. And that is definitely something I bring to D'Artani. And like he pumps himself up all the time. He talks a lot of shit. He can mostly back it up, but he'll get his ass kicked and then he'll he'll be like, this shouldn't be happening. Like there's something's wrong here. Yeah. He's also not a fool. Like he can yes. he can look at a situation for what it is and know when he's got the odds are against him. Right. And if he loses in those circumstances, he understands. But it's right. when he thinks he should win mm-hmm. and doesn't where things yeah. break bad. Exactly. So that that's one thing. Um, again, it, for me, it's mostly about like the way way Vegeta goes about pumping himself up, it's just really, um, what's the word? Contagious. Yeah, sure. It's hard for me to... Infectious. It's it's infectious. It's hard for me to describe 
if you know the character, you understand what I'm talking about. He he gives himself a speech pretty much. Yeah. And, and he's saying it out loud to everyone. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you can't beat me because I'm the best. Here's why. I've trained for so long. Right. I'm going to whoop that ass. That's true. And he, he says it out loud and he's really intense about it. He's like, the char- the voice acting in Dragon Ball is amazing. The people is. are just yelling the whole time. It's true. Yeah. You really get like, oh, man, it's the hype train. Do you ever watch like World World uh WWE or anything or like no I never got into that like wrestling is in a lot of ways like watching Goku power up for a bunch of episodes yeah I can I it's, can see the similarities for yeah sure. like Vegeta's one of the like the best at doing that because he's like I am Goku's I doing am this the hype that guy doesn't understand why he's doing this but I do and I <laughs> right. like I'm gonna whoop your fat ass oh, right like okay. let's go so that was one of the things. Yeah. Uh, another thing about liked about Vegeta is his snarkiness, which is not a trait you see in evil characters a lot. Actually, you see it in asshole characters, which Vegeta is definitely that. But you don't see it in like the really malevolent characters because malevolent characters are usually so full of themselves. They're just like, blah blah blah. Like I am the greatest evil. Blah blah blah. Well. Vegeta just takes, he takes shots at yeah, people. He's and quippy. He, he's quippy. He's he's got a lot of one-liners. I was like, I really want to bring that to this dark paladin. Because again, <laughs> that paired with his evilness brings some humor and brings some odd, oddly enough, some humanness to the character because that's something like a petty mortal does. Yeah. Because Vegeta shows up as like this ultra powerful mortal mm-hmm. on Earth and he's mm-hmm. like, must suck to suck, Earthling. Yeah. Peace. Exactly. I'm gonna go kick ass. Right, exactly. <laughs> um better stay here. You might get hurt, bud. Right. That sort of thing. Um I also really enjoy how awkward Vegeta is living day to day with normal people. Oh yeah, he's very. It's very foreign to him because because he's a prince technically, and also just because he's like this super crazy powerful like warrior from beyond the stars. Exactly, his and warrior like, mentality makes day to day civilian life mm-hmm. hard for him. I think, and that is definitely something I I wanted to bring to D'Artagnan by making him a noble number one, and then making him so into his like honor and his um his mission. And just his mentality of might makes right that when it comes to like just being at the inn and talking to normal folks, it's really weird and awkward. And I find it to be very funny. Um, the character development with Vegeta interests me, especially mm-hmm. when I think about D'Artagnan, because he's he's probably developed more than any other character. Mm-hmm. And he's slowly they're writing him to become like the savior of Earth. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. He's, and he's it, like, you're an idiot, Goku. So like I have to train so I can stop the people you keep bringing back to life to fight. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, and again, though, I am very specifically talking about like uh, a specific yeah, portion of Vegeta's character, Vegeta, yeah. but that is something that makes Vegeta great is his character development. And then the last thing before we move on is uh, Vegeta's willingness to work with others despite being so fucking evil. That was very crucial because it's like, well, the character I'm making is part of a party and I need to integrate this ability to work with others. So I took some cues from Vegeta's ability to do so. Um, and this was where I started with D'Artagnan, but it's not where I ended with him because I'm not, he's not just a Vegeta clone. That's D'Artagnan's. Anything no, he's more, that. he's more than that. I actually took a few pointers from you when mm-hmm. you, when you try to incorporate D'Artagnan into a party when I made Carter, I was oh. like, how am I going to, how am I going to justify being with other mm, people and working right. together? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And you did a great job. Thanks. Um, so these are attitudes I took to give D'Artagnan some personality and add some much needed humor to make him not just this foreboding evil piece of shit, <laughs> but 
this these these personality traits and whatnot they lacked a lot of the lawful end of lawful evil and so i ended up looking at another one of my favorite lawful evil characters who specifically shines for his lawful side and that's dr doom oh yeah good one (laughs) so dr doom is in my opinion one of the greatest villains ever invented he's my favorite supervillain from comic books and he is He's a super genius, megalomaniac. He's the king of a nation. He feels like he is the ultimate being, and he's very lawful and meticulous about his villainy. Um, And make no mistake, he is truly evil. He's absolutely selfish. But the things that make him so fascinating are the things that uh, um, juxtapose it against that. So the first thing being that Doctor Doom is an incredibly dutiful and honor-bound uh, individual, he is uh, the king of a country, and he takes it seriously. So, and, so let me let's stop you there because okay, there's yeah. a, there's a lot of people that are probably not versed in like Marvel comics and right. have only seen like that fantastic <laughs> that really four movie, movie. Yeah, yeah, with really bad, like not yeah. a great Doctor Doom. It's I don't basically think. not Doctor Doom. I'm not sure. I mean, it ha- like they give it the name Doctor Doom. I think but he like, did okay. Yeah, they, they were just, doing their own thing. It just is a different character. It has none of the same personality traits, none of the same backgrounds, none of the same looks, not even the same power set. It's just like yeah, until yeah. they give him the the cloak and the mask, it doesn't even yeah. you don't even know exactly. So so, so this Marvel character mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. gone through years and years and years of development right so just True. to give like context to what you're talking about before you get yeah. too deep yeah so when doom so one of doom's motivations and this is probably the big thing doom's motivation is actually to save the world he has a vision or had a vision when he was young and that's the thing is dr doom is really into like mysticism because he's also like the second greatest sorcerer in all marvel but that's mm-hmm. a different story right but he has a vision where the Evil powers of the universe converge on Earth, and the only thing that can stop it is Doom himself, so long as he takes sole control of the world and basically prepares everybody. Yeah. Which is honestly kind of a take on what uh, Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man for the Marvel Cinematic Universe says. He has this vision of everything failing, so he tries to take control of everything in order to uh, stave off what ends up being Thanos, and that's, you know, that's another story. Anyways, right. back to Doom. Um, so this is his mission. His mission is complete domination for uh, the greater good. Sounds like a Lex Luthor sort of thing, too. Kind of. Like, Except for Lex, Lex Luthor's just a piece of shit. Oh, man, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, he's a dutiful, honor-bound individual. Um, he is a king. Like I said, he takes it seriously. Um, and the well-being of his people despite like his tyrannical rule is actually exceptionally important. There are comic books where like the Fantastic Four go to Latveria and they're really surprised at like the high standard of living all the people live and like the, in Doom's country. Yeah, that in Doom's rules. country, yeah. like the sheer amount of social services they all have available to them and like how gen- uh, like, like oh uh, shit, he did a good job. Yeah, how genuinely <laughs> happy all his people are. But <laughs> the flip side of that is they are all technically brainwashed by a massive amount of propaganda and he literally- they're servants of Doom. Yeah, they're servants of doom. He has <laughs> literally, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're he well-treated has no, servants of doom. Yeah, he has no um, um, toleration for anyone stepping out of line. Like right. death is one of like the most common punishments for crimes because he's an insane megalomaniac. Mm-hmm. He's like this weird benevolent tyrant. Yeah. So he, he, he fuses this civility with this cruelty and it it makes him fascinating yeah he also really values order efficiency and pragmatism like he 
He implements these ideals himself. He respects and compliments those who do that as well. Um, and he's the ultimate weapon against everything, including himself. Right? Yeah, that's like exactly. a great way to describe him. I think. So these were ideas I wanted to implement in D'Artagnan, and that's what I did. D'Artagnan is very dutiful. He's very honor bound. He's true to his word. He's loyal to his friends because he expects them to be loyal back. Uh, he values order, efficiency, and pragmatism in society. He's really against savagery, even though he himself is cruel. I mean, there yes. was there was a scene where he tortured to death like three bandits. But the thing is, he warned them. He said, "Look, this is your chance. <laughs> he gave if him a you cuff, do he, this, he verbal warning. Yeah, yeah. If you do this, I am going to do this, this, and this. And if you don't believe me, you're gonna pay for it. And that's what happened." Yep. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what happens, man. And so I, I basically I took the things that make Doctor Doom very civil, despite all his barbarism, and I implemented that into D'Artagnan. Yeah. And so attaching these ideas to a lawful evil archetype made a character that is nuanced, interesting, fun to play, and despite what might what one might expect, actually plays pretty well with others. So yeah, that's how I implement lawful evil, or that's how I implement alignment into my character creation process. Cool. Cool. So let's get into the various alignments and kind of describe what they're generally about, how they can be implemented, and characters that kind of represent that. Um, feel free to chime in on any of these. Um, here we go. Lawful good. Let's start with that alignment. Lawful good is an alignment that combines compassion with honor, duty, and discipline. Characters of this alignment have a tendency to oppose evil actively and relentlessly, uh, to be true to their word, help those in need, and to speak out against injustice. They often have a strict moral code that they rarely break, and that they tend to they tend to put a great uh, amount of stake in the laws and orders of society to uphold the best interest of all. Uh, I find good examples of lawful good characters or lawful good-ish characters. Uh, Captain America is mm-hmm. one. Uh, Ned Stark or Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. And um, Jean-Luc Picard from uh, oh, yeah. uh, Star Trek. Star Trek. That's and a good one. early Hermione Granger, I think later on she's a little bit more neutral good, but she's pretty dang lawful good for those first like five books for sure. I mean, really, like you're talking like you're lawful good, but you're do- your actions say otherwise. Yeah, but she's upset about it. And that's the yeah. thing. It's like, okay, I get what you yeah, mean by that. Lawful yeah. good characters, when forced to break their code before the feel greater bad. good, will feel really bad about it. And that's <laughs> definitely Hermione. Eventually, sure. Hermione becomes numb to the world. <laughs> exactly. Around they, her. they corrupt her a bit from that lawful <laughs> side for sure, Harry and Ron. That's <laughs> Swallowed funny. by the chaos. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, hey, did you want to add anything to Lawful Good? I mean, I kind of want to touch on when we talk about one, mm-hmm. like, let's also talk about like a class, like Paladin, Cleric, obviously, are great Lawful Good. Sure. Choices. Okay. So, yeah, there, there are, for each alignment, there are going to be classes that I think a lot of people associate. Because, like, like I said, like, if you want to do, if you're a new player and you want to approach the game and tackle it head on, right. I want to, looking at the alignment chart is great because I mm-hmm. want to play. Oh, look, lawful evil. That would be fun. How do we do that? Or like maybe lawful good. Like, oh, lawful good. That's that's something I can do. These tropes are tropes for a reason. And sometimes it's fun to get in there. Yeah, exactly. And as much as we can get tired of tropes, sometimes it's really fun to just do the trope. Yeah, like (laughs) because you're experiencing it from a different standpoint. You're you are in charge of a character and you're you're Mm -hmm. an actor, essentially. So Mm -hmm. like stepping into this role you maybe you've never done that before and that interests you. So even if it is a trope, you get to, you get to experience it and then understand it. Right. Absolutely. Um, 
Okay, let's move on to neutral good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So neutral good is an alignment that entails altruism without regard for or against laws, rules, or traditions. So these types of characters have a tendency to hold helping others above all things, uh, to break rules and laws to do the right thing. Uh, without feeling the whole guilt part that we just talked about. Right. <laughs> so the thing that Hermione kind of became. Uh, and to have a moderate and flexible approach to moral goodness. Right. Um, good. So, so is go this ahead. more of like the greater good? Can you, can if you expand on it and really like take it to the next level? Honestly, like, the idea of per, a person who does things for the greater good could uh, apply to any of the good alignments. Okay. This, the, the idea of lawful good neutral good chaotic good the difference is is really just their approach and respect for ideas of traditions codes laws right. order society all those things like mm-hmm. if a lawful good character holds those things in as much importance as good itself while a chaotic good character basically finds that all these lawful ideas get in the way of doing good and they're really not for them so what about like thanos from thanos's perspective how he views himself? okay so thanos would definitely view himself as being lawful good for lawful sure good he's got a code he's got uh well let's okay there's also a difference between um um infinity war thanos and endgame thanos they're kind of different characters right because yeah. they're the same person in different parts of their lives right but uh and spoilers for all these sorry, sorry. um but <laughs> but infinity war thanos Definitely is like this philosopher king, if you will, coming down from on high with omniscient power and doing things that he finds distasteful for the greater good. And he definitely follows laws. He's true to his word. He only does what he says he's going to do and nothing more. And he's got this like defined code that Mm -hmm. he's following. That's from his perspective. From another person's perspective, he's probably lawful evil. Sure. Again, what they view, it's perspective. Exactly. They view what he's doing is evil, but he's following a code to do it. So he's lawful. Yeah. Like I killed half these people to save you. Right. Or like, but then someone else is like, you killed half. You killed so many people. Thanos. Exactly. What the fuck, man? What the fuck, bro? (laughs) So, uh, oh yeah. Back to neutral good. Um, Some good character examples of neutral good characters would be Luke Skywalker. Mm. Um, Gandalf, I think is a great one. He He's really, really neutral good. She's doing what it takes, that Gandalf. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Spider-Man is also a really good neutral good character. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, specifically <clears throat> Spider-Man? Specifically Spider-Man. Because um, Peter Parker has a... What, what's Peter Parker? Oh, no, even Peter Parker. Yeah, I is mean... Neutral they, good? Yeah, they're both neutral good. Yeah. Uh, is there a character that has an alias like that that is a different alignment in and out of the suit sort of thing? Oh, Bruce Banner. But we're uh, not Bruce Banner. I'm sorry. Um, I Bruce Wayne. Be, well, that's Bruce pretty, Wayne. Uh, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce Wayne. I guess Bruce so. Wayne's very lawful. Uh, good in um, as Batman. As and not as Batman. No, as Bruce Banner. Uh, I don't think as he's Bruce a, Wayne. I, uh, Bruce Wayne. Sorry, <laughs> I don't think he's actually lawful. Good as Batman. Um, I mean, you could argue for it, but I think he. Um, I think that he tends to fall somewhere between neutral and chaotic. Good personally yeah i've been studying um the philosophy of like justice and stuff to mm-hmm. see for reasons yeah and um it's really the he acts based off his conscience and his whims and yeah re- he, regardless got, of the law his hang-ups cause him to do these, some of this stuff yeah so like it, exactly he's a really interesting character in terms of like uh, it, he's a really interesting character in a box i guess uh, he's an interesting character like almost just period because he is so nuanced and contradictory but at the same time makes sense and um yeah but putting him in a, a specific alignment is very difficult because he is so nuanced yeah and even these characters i'm mentioning like luke skywalker acts out of alignment um gandalf maybe not so much 
Um, but even Spider-Man acts out of alignment sometimes, like because that's what people do. Well, I think it's it's good for stories and and characters uh, being experienced by readers and things mm-hmm. like and and movie watchers and things like that to see a character struggle with their their moral view. Right. I mean, exactly. like that's a normal thing that we all have to deal with. It's, Precisely. Yeah. yeah so it, it's it's <clears throat> relatable. Makes it exactly. good for good storytelling. All right. So let's move on to Chaotic Good. Chaotic Good is an alignment that puts great value on personal freedom for all. Uh, characters of this alignment have a tendency to act as their conscience directs and have a disdain for laws and rules that get in the way of doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they tend to have a good heart paired with a free spirit. Cool. Examples of Chaotic Good characters would include Naruto. All the adventures at your gaming party. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Naruto Uzumaki is a great one. Okay, uh, yeah. Robin Hood is another one. Also, Mary Poppins is probably like Chaotic Good, like incarnate, if you will. Is Naruto a good... A good oh, yeah, man. That dude's Chaotic Good is all shit. He does not give a fuck about laws, rules, or any of that shit. He just does the right thing. And quite frankly, it's very difficult to stop him. I don't know. When he decides what the right thing is. I don't know if that's... Okay. I, I, okay. But there's like... There's a lot of laws that he obeys, like, because he's going to he like obeys the like the mantra of his village and shit, you know, like. Like what? Like the like the like he's I don't know. I don't know if it, I can I can argue on it because I'm like in the middle of watching it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it just seems like he is. I get what you're saying, like chaotic good for sure. But mm-hmm. he's like out in the field and like a lot of stuff doesn't apply because he's a soldier. Like well, all, I mean, they're all just children soldiers. How many times is Naruto out magic? there? He's told to do one thing and then he completely ignores it because he does not care and he does what he wants instead. He does that pretty much every mission. Early Naruto. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Even later Naruto does. And like, sure. Well, later could, Naruto. You're, I think you're right. Because later Naruto <laughs> transcends the boundary and, right. and becomes what is right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he just does it so much that he becomes law. Right. And <laughs> okay, the, sure. I think Naruto is pretty chaotic. I, I admit that might be an issue with the plot. Um, I don't think it's an issue with the plot. I or mean, not again, an issue, but like a part of the formula of the plot. Right. So let's move on to lawful neutral. (laughs) Lawful neutral is an alignment strongly tied to the concepts uh, of honor, order, traditions, and rules. Characters of this alignment have a tendency to be reliable and honorable without the zealousness of a lawful good character. Uh, They tend to believe in order as being beneficial to all more so than devotions to ideals of goodness. Uh, And they tend to have a strong disdain for disruptors, rule breakers, and criminals in general. Examples of well-written lawful neutral characters include Judge Dredd, which is a fucking amazing movie that not enough people saw. So I'm telling you right now, <laughs> go see that movie. Yeah, Will always reminds yeah, me that I need to watch so Judge Dredd. so goddamn good. And a lot um, of other people it's do It's a too. shame there's not going to be a sequel because there should be three sequels as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but other examples of uh, lawful neutral characters would include Nick Fury and uh, Stannis Baratheon. From Game of Thrones, which I know Brian's not familiar okay, with. Okay, I was about to qu- uh, like, ask you. He's like one of the greatest lawful neutral characters, probably, Stannis Baratheon. Uh, like, an, it, you, when you described it, I kind of uh, thought of like a like monk, like an elder monk leader, like at mm-hmm. a monk temple or monastery sure. or something like that. Yeah. That character is probably lawful that neutral line. Yeah. or true neutral, somewhere in between there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Judge Dredd is like he's he is the law. Everything's about the law and following the law. He's not concerned with good or evil. Um, he he just concerned with tradition. He's no, he's just concerned with the law bringing criminals to justice. Sure, nothing else matters. Okay, and that sounds like a terrible character, 
And normally I would agree, but it, that movie, he's a fucking amazing character. Well, that definitely tracks with Batman, too. And then Nick Fury is concerned about the security of mankind. He does not give a shit about the moral scruples. He doesn't. Like, he does not at all. And it's fascinating, quite frankly, because you never know where he stands sometimes. No, he always, he they use him to, like, give you left hook sometimes. Yeah. Throw curveballs and, like, God damn it, Nick Fury. Yeah. It's either like, hell yeah. He's one of my favorite characters. He's great. I love that guy. Because it's either like, oh, fuck yeah, Nick Fury's here. Or like, oh my God, no. Yeah. And that's, (laughs) isn't that funny? Because like you can be the same person watching two different movies and whether Nick Fury shows up, you have a completely different reaction. You're either like, yes, it's Nick Fury. You're like, oh, fuck, Nick Fury's here. You mean two different people watching the same movie? No, you could be. No, no. Well, you could be that, too. But I meant you, you could literally be the same person watching two different watching movies? two different movies. Obviously not. at the same Oh, time. yeah. I get what you mean yeah. now. And in one movie, you're, because of the circumstances of the exactly. film. You, OK, yeah. exactly. Yes, I and I think that's great character writing. Yeah, so. that's good. So so the, uh, I, I mentioned Batman earlier, but like this is more Batman. Batman is very concerned with the law with with justice like with yeah. criminals being brought to justice sure. like in, in that way yeah that so that kind of tracks i guess i don't think that batman falls into lawful neutral probably this is one of the things i think he falls into the least because a lawful neutral person is cares only for the law they do not care about what is right they do not care about what is wrong batman is anything but lawful neutral he does so much stuff against the law constantly yeah, I mean, but he yeah. has he he when it comes to the final punishment, though, like mm-hmm. he leaves it up to the like, the, sure. like this guy. I, yeah. I incapacitated this guy. I did what the law couldn't do. So mm-hmm. the law can now do what it needs to do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he's constantly throwing people trust in jail. I don't know why Batman <laughs> trusts jail, trust jail. Of, <laughs> on any scale. They, everybody's getting out all the time. It's true. Batman All right. likes it secretly. Let's move on. Let's move on to true neutral. Sure. Uh, true neutral is an alignment not particularly uh, drawn to either side of either axis. Um, this can be due to an active dedication to the idea of balance between order, chaos, good and evil, and all that, or simply a lack of conviction either way. Um, it's not to be confused with unaligned beings such as animals. Like an animal's not um, true neutral. They're just not really aligned at all. Um, your average person is probably fairly close to this alignment. Um, but also (laughs) some extreme people, um, to have, uh, examples of being true neutral. Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen, I would say is pretty true neutral, at least for the first half of the movie. Maybe at the later half, he he goes a little bit neutral goodish. Maybe I don't, I'm not sure. Or just chaotic good or chaotic neutral. He's somewhere over there. He's confusing. I I don't want to talk about Watchmen with any sort of like, like I know what I'm talking. I do not oh, really? know what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would say that Dr. Manhattan becomes chaotic. Good ish. No, <laughs> he's complicated because the way that movie ends is fucked up. Anyways, uh, Dr. Manhattan's a good example though of Dr. Neutral. Manhattan's the big blue naked guy. Yes. From all those trailers you probably watched if you haven't seen yes, it. Yes, yes. Otherwise, you know exactly who he is, and you're going to be in the comments. Other examples of true neutral are Squall Leonhart in uh, Final Fantasy VIII and The Dude from The Big Lebowski. The Dude! <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Three very drastically different characters, all in the same alignment. Sure. Uh, let's move on to Chaotic Neutral. So, Chaotic Neutral is an alignment that values personal freedom first and foremost. Uh, characters of this alignment tend to be solely motivated by self-interest. Uh, they tend to resent authority, and they tend to follow their whims rather than their conscience. That being said, uh, they are they usually are not actively like malicious or mean or cruel. They just tend to be indifferent if that kind of happens to other people, unless it's someone they care about. 
I don't know, man. Maybe I'll go into a cave later, see if I can find some treasure. I don't know. I just love walking these trails. <laughs> so examples of chaotic neutral are Jack Sparrow, uh, sure. Catwoman, and Gene Starwin from Outlaw Star. Okay. Um, those three are more similar than the last three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, did you want to add anything to uh, chaotic neutral? Uh, no, chaotic neutral. Um, I like the Jack Sparrow pool. Yeah, yeah Jack Sparrow's kind of become the poster boy of chaotic neutral. I mean, yeah. he's like chaotic neutralism incarnate if you will i like chaotic alignment a lot because you know it's you never know what you're gonna get really yeah well kind of you do but yeah it's gonna be fun and exciting it's true all right moving on lawful evil is an alignment that combines self-interest within a limit of a code of conduct uh these types of characters tend to value loyalty and order but not freedom dignity or life uh they view law as a tool to get what they want and to obey the letter of the law more so than the spirit of the law um these are all your pokemon bad guys Examples of lawful evil characters include Doctor Doom, Darth Vader, and Dolores Umbridge from uh, Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. That's a good pull. She's horrifyingly lawful evil. She's horrifying just in general. Yeah, it's true. Like everyone. I, oh, man. She's easily the most hated character over any other villain. It's really because <laughs> of the contrast. In a good way. Not in like. Oh, yeah. A, she's yeah. a great like she's, catalyst point for that story, yeah. I think. is a great pivot point for the, the, the dark turn that is being taken. There's right. a contradiction with her the, being like dressed in all pink and like fluffy cats and hand knit towelies and right, stuff like that. Right. All that. It's w- funny to think that that is the most probably evil character in all Harry she's Potter. She's so fucking problematic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so next up is neutral evil. So neutral evil is an alignment connected to a lack of conscience altogether and selfishness without a thought for laws or rules. These characters tend to have no compunction for harming others, though they don't go out of their way to cause carnage or mayhem. Uh, They lack compassion or empathy is kind of the big one here. Uh, And sometimes they hold up evil up as its own ideal, which is weird, but it's a thing. Um, Examples of neutral evil characters include Scar from The Lion King, Voldemort, uh, Saruman from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Cersei Lannister, I think, falls into this category from Game of Thrones. Um, characters that do what they want because it's what they want. And they'll follow the rules if it works for them. But if it doesn't, they don't give a shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do what I want. Yeah, I do what I want. I do what I want. Eric Cartman, definitely ne- uh, neutral evil. Yeah, Eric Cartman, neutral <laughs> evil. Eric Cartman is a, is a fourth grade <laughs> child and will be for the rest of his existence. I'd be neutral evil too. God, man. South Park is like... Can you, to apply the alignment chart to South Park, (laughs) I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I get lost in the weeds immediately. So let's cover the last alignment on our list. Chaotic evil. Chaotic evil is an alignment that combines freedom, selfishness, and cruelty. These characters do not respect laws, other lives, and at times even their own self-interest. They have a tendency to be unpredictable, vicious, violent, and destructive, all while taking pleasure in being so. Uh, I think great examples of chaotic evil characters are the Joker. That's an mm. obvious one. He's yeah. supposed to play that alignment. Sephiroth from uh, Final Fantasy VII and Mr. Smith from The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Oh, All well, chaotic evil characters. I guess so. I, after he... After, after he, the change for yeah. Smith, for sure. Yeah. I think he's more neutral evil before he becomes all crazy. Uh, he's lawful evil because he's like being predic- He's like obeying the law of the you, Matrix. You could argue that, but I would argue that he was neutral evil. He was forced to be lawful evil, and yeah, he no, hated yeah, every moment of yeah, it. Yeah, you're right about that. Like yeah. he 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 acted as lawful because he was for- he was yeah, forced. He had to- no choice, right? But, but he, he was he was predestined to become the character he becomes in yeah. by the second movie, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. 
God, what a good character. Man, there's like a fucking thousand of them. And they oh, got, yeah. he's got to fight yeah, them in the all. Th- in the third and he puts that, insane movie. He puts that pole on the ground. He's like running on top of them <laughs> in a circle. Man, did you get caught up in the Matrix hype when it was happening? Because I did. Man, that was uh, fun. Well, I was like in... I don't know, sixth grade or fifth grade or something when uh-huh. all, when the first one came, 99. Yeah. yeah. Like, so when I turned 18, I started watching the matrix a lot, just the first one a lot. And mm-hmm. I watched it a bunch, like almost every night with the commentaries, like oh, with yeah. all this, with all this different stuff. It's one of my favorite movies of Dude, all the time. The first matrix is a masterpiece. I fucking love doubt. Keanu yeah. Reeves. I love the oh, concept yeah. of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All Smith right. is great. I, I, is great. I have no, I have no, Nothing bad to say about that movie, really. Okay, it hasn't aged well, that great, we, I guess. I don't know. At no, this point, no, the first it, movie it, has aged amazingly, but uh, it, it, it it for a long time it still looked really, really. You're just now, I feel like, just starting to see like some of the the holes in it that technology is bypassing. That well, movie. I mean, yeah, when it comes to special effects, sure, but yeah. I just mean the movie I mean, itself. I don't. No, think it's that, a yeah. it's a masterpiece. Yeah. So. Uh, anything to add on the alignment chart? I think we've done a pretty thorough overview. I'm not sure what else I could say about it that wouldn't just be purely subjective debate. Um, well, we kind of approached it a couple different ways, right? We, we approached the character creation aspect of mm-hmm. it, which I do think is a great way to start. Yeah. Um, we we approached like like you were hitting on notable pop culture characters. I right. think that can help. You know, Th- those are more like touchstones. Like, yes, okay. exactly. Like and if I, I want to build a because because. Yes, character creation is great, but it could be for your PC or your villain or your NPC. You know, we should always be kind of touching the alignment chart a little bit in D&D, mm-hmm. I think. Right. And then, you know, as the story demands it, move on if necessary. Yeah. And with my examples, I tried to make sure to pick three or four different characters that really were drastically different from each other. And to because I feel like if you see like the spectrum of each specific alignment alignment and how like you can have like four completely different types of characters all within the same alignment. Yeah, it gives you a better idea for what the alignment is and means. So yeah, that how was can my be used. There. I think you did a good job with that and and which characters you picked specifically. Um, mm, some you. good some good broad pop culture touches, like you were saying. Um, I don't I don't think I don't know. I is there anything we're missing as far as like implementing the alignment chart? Um, again, Any the, way, you the way one implements the alignment chart is it's subjective. So I just gave an example of how I use it. Right. And how I think it can be used. How you use it and, to build D'Artagnan, yeah, right? And how I do think the alignment chart still has its place in D&D. Mm-hmm. I don't think it should disappear. I think it is very useful. That being said, it definitely should be as downplayed as it tends to be at the same time. Okay. I, I, I It's really great for... You know, if you're a new DM and you're just trying out, I don't know, the abyss and demons and stuff, you can you can kind of touch on on some of the places in, in the alignment chart for inspiration as to how to role play your bad guys. Right. And yeah. with that being said, I think we get ready for a long rest. And before we go, I would like to ask everyone to please go check out our live play 5e D&D game, Super Quest Saga. You can find it on YouTube, on this channel or on its own podcast feed. We'll put the link in the description. And it is a game, an ongoing campaign where we are playing in a sci-fi future fantasy world where three classic D&D characters have been time displaced into the distant future and are trapezing around the galaxy trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Yeah, and man. It's well, a lot of fun. We're making a mess of it. Yeah, it's true. It's um, true. Like a good a good adventuring party should, mm-hmm. I think. So uh, check that shit out. It's fucking awesome. It's always popping off. <laughs> 
I I can't. I think the last like eight or nine episodes have been like I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> like yeah. holy crap! Like it, it really is like that. Um, check it out. It's got a different SoundCloud page, but it's on everywhere you can get your podcasts. True. Uh, and it's on YouTube if you want to mm-hmm. see us play mm-hmm. it. It's primarily designed for YouTube, I think. Um, That's how the, we initially did it, but yeah. it's also its own podcast. I just listen to it whenever TDC. I'm listening to an episode. Yeah, me too. TDC plays. Um, yeah, check out our uh, video game channel, TDC Plays. The link will be in the description. It's a YouTube channel where we have the Dungeon Cast sit around and play some video games. Uh, I think right now we're still in the middle of our Wind Waker HD playthrough, along with a playthrough of a horror game called Darkwood. I'm trying to get Kiki to move to Darkest Dungeon, but we'll see what happens there. <laughs> and uh, we play other games, Mega Man X, uh, Sonic Mania. Um, what other games? Oh, Pokemon. I did. Uh, we did a uh, Pokemon Nuzlocke for Heart Gold. Yeah. Um, and we got more stuff coming down the pipeline. Uh, very fun stuff. And yeah. I think we can call it a game. It's called a game. Talk to you guys later. Bye. The Dungeon Cast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.